Chapter 16 of The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill Chapter 16. The Barbarians and the Empire For many years before the time of Constantine, the city of Rome was becoming less and less important in the empire. The emperors often preferred to live somewhere else, and especially when Diocletian broke the empire up under four rulers. Constantine liked the ways of the Eastern Empire better than the West, and he made up his mind to make for himself a new capital there. He chose for it Byzantium, an old Greek colony, beautifully situated on the shores of the Sea of Bosphorus, and the bay called the Golden Horn. Byzantium was only a little city, but Constantine had houses and churches, theaters and baths built round about it, and made it into a new Rome. The name of the city was changed into Constantinople, or the City of Constantine, and so it is called to this day. Rome, however, became important in another way. Its bishop was the chief bishop of the Christian church. He came to be called the Pope, and in time became much more powerful than any emperor or king. If the emperor had stayed in Rome, it would not have been so easy for the Pope to become so great, and this is one important result of Constantine choosing a new capital in the East. Another important result was that it made it easier for the barbarians, who, as we have seen, were ready to break into the empire to do so. In a hundred years from Constantine's time, the Roman Empire had become an eastern empire only, and swarms of barbarians were settling down on the western part, ready to break it up into new nations, each under a different king. Ever since the days of Caesar and Augustus, the rulers of Rome had known that there was a great movement going on among the barbarian peoples. From time to time the emperors had found it necessary to drive some tribes back as they crossed into the empire itself. Always they had had to keep a good watch on the frontiers, and in the end they allowed some of these peoples to settle down in the Roman provinces round the Danube, which was always the hardest frontier to keep safe. In time, too, the emperors began to take men from the peoples who had settled down to fight in the Roman army. This was a mistake, for when the time came for these soldiers to fight the barbarians, they did not care to do so. The chief among these barbarian peoples who were threatening Rome were the Goths, the Vandals, the Burgundians, and the Franks. They were all of the Teutonic race, 
to which the English who conquered Britain also belonged. They were big, fair men, seeming almost like giants to the Italians and the other peoples already living in Spain and France and Africa and all the lands of the western part of the Roman Empire. Behind the Teutons there were other peoples belonging to the Slavonic race. These pushed the Teutons before them, but in the end settled down in the east of Europe. The people of the countries which are now called Hungary, Serbia, and Bulgaria came from this race. They were smaller, darker, and more like the peoples of the east than the Teutons. Behind them again pushed a terrible people called the Huns. They were small savages and came from the wildest parts of Central Asia. They were fierce and good fighters, but they could not keep together as well as the Teutons or make use of a victory when they won it. In the end, they were driven right out of Europe again. The moving about of all these peoples is now called the wandering of the nations. People have often wondered how it was that the great Roman Empire came to be overrun by the barbarian peoples. It has been said that it was because the people in the Roman Empire were weak and wicked, while the new peoples were brave and honest. But we must remember that now nearly all the people in the empire had become Christians, and most of them lived good lives. One reason, perhaps, was that the empire was too big, and it was impossible for any but very clever rulers to rule it properly. We have already seen how it was, as it were, falling to pieces when it had to be divided among several rulers. Then again there were great numbers of the barbarians, and generally the armies which fought against them were much smaller, but quite as brave. The people of the empire, too, had not so much interest in fighting for the empire as people today in fighting for their own countries. But the barbarians themselves saw that the empire was not weak and bad, and were glad to learn many things from the people they conquered. One thing which they learned was the Christian religion, and all these people who settled down in the empire became Christians in the end. No sooner had Constantine made the whole empire Christian than the Christians began to quarrel among themselves. A priest of Egypt called Arius taught that our Lord was not quite equal to God the Father, and a great many people believed this. His followers were called Arians, and many of the barbarians, as they were converted by Arians, became Arians too. Constantine was very sorry to see the Christians quarreling among themselves, and he called a great council, that is, a meeting of bishops from all parts of the church to discuss the question. They met at the town of Nicaea, some having traveled thousands of miles to be present. This council of Nicaea, the first great council of the church, said that Arius was wrong. 
One of those who spoke most against Arius at the council was a young priest named Athanasius, who came from Alexandria. After the council, there were many people who still were Arians, and Athanasius spent his long life in preaching and writing against them. It was he who wrote the famous Athanasian Creed, which is still read in the churches. Julian the Apostate Athanasius was a saint, but he was only one of many who lived in the hundred years after the time when Constantine made the empire Christian. There were Basil and Gregory, who were companions with the emperor Julian when they were students in the schools of Athens, for Athens was still a great place for learning. Julian was a nephew of Constantine the Great, and afterwards became emperor himself. He is famous because he tried to destroy the Christian religion and make the empire pagan again. In spite of being a great friend of St. Basil and St. Gregory in his young days, Julian had never really believed in Christianity. When he was emperor, he did all he could to hurt the Christians, though he did not persecute them like the emperors in the old days of paganism. He built again the pagan temples, and he would not let the Christians study the old writings of the Greeks and Romans. He said that if they did not believe in the gods, they should not read about them. He really hoped that the Christians would become ignorant and uneducated. But Christianity was too strong for him, and it is said that on his deathbed he cried in anger, Galilean, meaning our Lord, thou hast conquered. Meanwhile his two school companions had been living holy lives. Basil had become the head of a monastery in an eastern desert, spending his time in prayer and work and fasting with other holy men who joined him. He had wanted Gregory to go too, but he had become a priest and then bishop of Caesarea and afterwards of Constantinople. Another great saint of this time and one of the four great doctors of the church was St. Ambrose, the Archbishop of Milan. He too spent his life fighting the Arians. He was a very noble and charitable man. Once, when the Goths carried off a great number of Christians, for all this time the barbarians were attacking the empire, St. Ambrose sold all he could find, even the beautiful gold cups belonging to his church, to buy them back. He showed how brave he was when he once refused to allow Theodosius, the emperor, to go into his church. At least so the story goes. In any case, St. Ambrose wrote a letter reproving the emperor, and Theodosius, in his turn, did penance in the church. He had indeed done a very wrong thing, and the story shows how, beside the great holiness of the saints of the time, there was still a terrible amount of cruelty and bloodshed. In the town of Thessalonica, one of the emperor's officers had been killed by the people. 
the emperor pretended that he was not angry and invited the people of the town to see some games in the circus and when they were all there theodosius sent in his soldiers and killed them st ambrose wrote some beautiful latin hymns which we can still read and sing and one of the oldest churches in the world is the church built in his honor at milan in those days when on the death of an emperor several men often fought to be made emperor in his place and when the barbarians were continually breaking in and fighting many men fled to the desert to become monks and say their prayers in peace one of the greatest men of this time who became a monk was saint jerome who put the bible into latin for these old monks worked as well as prayed he lived the last years of his life in a monastery which he made at bethlehem which he loved because our lord was born there saint jerome is generally seen in pictures with the bible which he translated into latin which was the language which all scholars then read he is sometimes seen too with a lion and the story is that he once saw a lion with a thorn in its paw and instead of being frightened saint jerome took the thorn out and bandaged the paw after that the lion followed the saint everywhere like a dog there were saints too like saint john chrysostom or the golden-mouthed bishop of antioch and then of constantinople who won his name because of the beautiful way in which he spoke and preached to the people and saint simeon stylites who thought that the best thing to please god was to mortify himself and who lived for years and then died on the top of a stone pillar stretching up into the sky in the syrian desert but perhaps the greatest saint of all at that time was saint augustine of hippo a town in north africa saint augustine wrote himself in a book called his confessions the story of his life he tells how he was brought up tenderly by his mother monica a saint herself and anxious that her son might grow into a good and holy man but when he was a boy and a young man augustine was not very good and his mother wept often and bitterly over his sins but at milan he met saint ambrose and listened to his sermons he was suddenly filled with hatred for his past life and changed it completely he went back to hippo became a priest and later bishop of hippo his writings were read then and are read now by christians everywhere his greatest book the civitate dii or the city of god was written at the time when a barbarian army had entered rome itself and he died when he was seventy-six years old when a barbarian army had been besieging his city of hippo for three months and just in time to escape seeing it taken for the barbarians were now spread all over the western part of the empire and we must now turn to the story of their conquest 
The emperor Theodosius the Great died in the year 395 AD, and the empire was divided between his sons Arcadius, who ruled the east, and Honorius, who ruled the west. It was now that the Visigoths, or western Goths, who had settled in the provinces round the Danube, first went forward into Italy itself. They had, as their leader, a brave chief called Alaric, but they had to fight hard battles against Stilicho, the general of Honorius in Italy. He was a vandal, one of those barbarians who had been taken into the Roman army, but he fought well for Rome. He defeated Alaric in three great battles, but the enemies of Stilicho persuaded the emperor that he was a traitor, and Honorius allowed him to be put to death. Two years afterwards, in the year 410, Alaric led his victorious army into Rome itself. It was the first time since 800 years before when the Gauls had burnt the city and marched away, that any enemy had got within the walls of Rome. The Romans tried to frighten him by telling him how great were their numbers, but he only answered, The thicker the hay, the easier moan. And when they asked him what he would leave them, he answered, Your lives. The Goths broke into the beautiful buildings of Rome and took for themselves the treasures which the Romans had collected from all parts of the world in the days when they were winning their empire. Honorius, the emperor of the West, was a weak and foolish young man. While the barbarians were pouring into Rome, he was in the country looking after the hens which he kept and of which he was very fond. A messenger came to tell him that the end of Rome had come. Now Honorius had a hen to which he had given the name of Rome. How can that be, he said, when I have just been feeding her? He seemed almost pleased to hear that it was his empire and not his hen that he had lost. Alaric meant to keep Rome but he could not help admiring the civilization which he saw everywhere in the empire, and he said he would like to be appointed an officer in the service of the empire. Many of the barbarian chiefs after Alaric did the same. This did not mean that they obeyed the emperor, for they did not, but they liked to feel that they had a share in the greatness and civilization of the empire. About the same time as Alaric was conquering Italy, the Vandals were overrunning Gaul and Spain. But three years after he had taken Rome, Alaric died, and under their next ruler, the Visigoths marched out of Italy, followed the Vandals into Gaul and Spain, and drove them out of those countries into Africa. It was while these vandals were taking Africa for themselves that the siege of Hippo took place, during which St. Augustine died. The vandals were one of the roughest of these barbarian peoples, and they soon made the north of Africa, 
which ever since the days of Alexander had been a place of civilization and learning, almost savage again. Meanwhile, the Visigoths had made a kingdom stretching all over the southwest of France and the greater part of Spain, with its capital at the Roman town of Toulouse. It seemed almost as though the Visigoths might form a new empire in the west, but in the end they did not even hold together as a nation. They were Christians, but Arians, and it will be seen later that the barbarians who were Arians were nearly always conquered by those who were Christians proper. For one reason, the people whom they conquered were not, as a rule, Arians, and therefore disliked them more than if they had been of their own religion. Another Teutonic people, the Franks, who became later a very great people indeed, now overran nearly all the north and central part of France. They were not yet Christians at all. The Burgundians made themselves a kingdom in the southeast of Gaul, so all the provinces of the west, except Italy itself, were now in the hands of the new peoples. It was at this time that the Roman legions left the province of Britain. Britain was one of the latest provinces won by the Roman Empire, and in spite of the great Roman roads which may still be seen in this country today, and the many towns and colonies which the Romans had set up, Britain does not seem to have become really Roman in its civilization, like France and Spain, which have been so much longer under Roman rule. So that when the Angles and Saxons and Jutes, who were only other branches of the Teutonic race, came and conquered this country, while the Goths and Vandals and Franks were conquering the other provinces, these people learned very little of Roman life and civilization, and did not become Christians like the barbarian peoples who conquered the other provinces. They still went on worshipping their own gods, Woden, the god of war, Thor, the god of thunder, and many others, until monks were sent from Rome long after to teach them the true faith. The reason that Italy was not conquered and kept by the barbarians was that the emperors were more anxious to keep it, and the barbarians were frightened by its past greatness. For many years after the other kingdoms were more or less settled, the barbarians and the followers of the emperor still struggled in Italy. Then there was the great power of the Pope growing there. Italy, in fact, was never joined as a nation under one king until the second half of the 19th century. Attila the Hun About the year 433 A.D., Attila, a fierce chief, became king of the Huns, who were still living in the land north of the Danube to the east. There their king had built himself a wooden palace, and from there he led his great army of savages, each seated on a shaggy pony, right over Europe. Attila, we are told, was a short, square man, curiously shaped, with a large head, 
dark skin, eyes set deep back in his head, and with a flat nose and very little hair. He was cunning and fierce, and like all the Huns, he hated the civilization of the West. The people called him the Scourge of God. He first attacked the Eastern Empire, destroying one city after another until he got to the walls of Constantinople. The emperor paid him a large sum of money and gave him an enormous piece of land along the Danube before he would go away. But the next emperor refused to pay the tribute, and Attila then decided to attack the Western Empire. He rode across Europe, destroying cities and killing the people everywhere, until he was stopped at Orleans, where the soldiers were encouraged by the brave Bishop Anianus to resist him. While he was here, an army came up to fight him. It was the army of Theodoric, king of the Visigoths, joined with the army of the brave Roman general Aetius, who was trying to rule Italy for the weak and useless emperors who now had their capital at Ravenna. On the plains of Chalons, not far from Orleans, Attila was completely defeated. The Visigothic king was killed, but Europe was saved. If Attila and his sons had conquered Europe, the civilization which Rome had spread and which the Teutonic races were learning would have been lost, and Europe would have become savage again. Attila had to draw back from Gaul, but the next year he marched into Italy itself. Aetius marched after him, but was not in time to prevent many cities in the north of Italy from being destroyed. Many of the people fled to the islands and lakes in the north of the Adriatic, and it was from the homes they built themselves there that the famous and beautiful city of Venice had its beginnings. The Emperor Valentinian sent messengers to Attila, begging him to go away. With the messengers went the great Pope Leo, and it was said that Attila was much struck by the noble and beautiful face of the great Pope. But it was probably because his soldiers were tired and ill, and because he was offered a princess of the emperor's family as one of his wives, and much money that he agreed to go away. Fortunately, the princess was saved from this fate, for Attila died shortly afterwards after a feast to celebrate another of his marriages. His sons were not so cunning and clever as Attila, and the Huns after this moved eastward again, and practically disappeared from history. Just as Stilicho had been put to death by the jealous and foolish Emperor Honorius, for whom he had done so much, so now the equally foolish Emperor Valentinian killed Aetius with his own hand. Shortly after this, Genseric, the fierce Aryan king of the Vandals in Africa, sailed across to Italy and attacked Rome itself, carrying away many treasures, among them the golden table and the golden candlestick carried by Titus from the temple at Jerusalem when he destroyed that city. The western emperors at Ravenna were becoming weaker and weaker. 
They were often chosen by the general of the barbarian armies in Italy. The eastern emperor was supposed to give his consent, but in the end, this was never asked. At last, in 476, Odecker, the Herulian, a great barbarian general in Italy, made the last emperor of the West give up his throne. This emperor was a young boy, the son of another barbarian adventurer. He had been given the grand old names of Romulus, the founder of Rome, and Augustus, its first emperor. But he soon came to be called in mockery Romulus Augustulus, or the little Augustus. For a wonder, Odecker did not kill him, but let him live quietly in one of the Italian towns. He sent the emperor's crown and robe to the emperor at Constantinople, telling him that the Roman Senate wished that the Western Empire should end, and declaring that they would honor the one emperor at Constantinople. Of course, this did not mean anything. Odecker took the name of king, meaning to have Italy for his own. The giving up of the name of Roman emperor by the boy Romulus Augustulus in 476 AD is often spoken of as the moment when the Roman Empire in the West broke up. But we have seen that it had broken up long before, and that the barbarians had been fast-taking the lands of the Western Empire and making them their own for a hundred years before. End of chapter 16 Read by Carrie Adams, your book boys, at Mesa, Arizona, on the 28th of January, 2022.